It's exciting to see their excitement for this. Always a, a fun moment to watch as they head upstairs. And there's a story of when golf, the game of golf, was new in the United States. It had just been brought over the pond, so to speak, and someone who was an avid golfer from Scotland offered to do a driving demonstration for then-president Ulysses S. Grant. And so they, they set this up. The, the gentleman appeared before Grant. He took a golf ball, and he set it up on a tee, and he lined up to swing, to drive the ball, and he swung, and he missed. And when he missed, he flung dirt all over the president, all over his beard. If you can picture Grant in your mind, you know that he had a, a fairly epic beard, really. Uh, and, and so the gentleman missed. Well, so he lined up, and he did it again, and he did it again, and again, a total of five times, each time missing the ball. And puzzlingly, Grant stroked his beard, they say, and, and said, this game appears to be good exercise, but I don't understand the point of the ball. <laughs> you know, church can be like that a lot of times because it seems like many times we, we miss the point. We, we get lined up, we get everything ready, we, we show up in church, we're here and we're ready. We go through motions, but, but we don't make contact. We miss what it's really supposed to be about. And what I hope for us to discover together is, is that maybe in many ways not anything new, but is to be reminded of these truths about what the, the church is. Or maybe it would be more accurate to say who the church is over the next several weeks as we study this heartbeat of a healthy church. The new year is a time when many people focus on getting healthy, right? So maybe many of you have made resolutions in the new year that you are going to, you are going to do something in this year to be healthier. Maybe that would involve uh, the, a change to your diet or eating differently. But for many, it probably involves some form of exercise, some form of movement, right? Our, our bodies were made to move. They were made to sweat. It's healthy. It's good for us. Well, anyone that exercises knows that a key part of exercise a key part, really, of, of, of getting the benefit that your body needs when you exercise is you've got to get your heart rate up. And there are a lot of different ways that you can track your, your heart rate, right? If you go to the, the Y and you get on one of their cardio machines, there are, there are ways that that machine will measure your heart rate. You can, uh, the, the machine that I use a lot is an elliptical device, and it's got the things that go like this, but you can also put your hands on these handles, and, and it measures your heart rate if you, if you use that. Or when you run, a lot of people these days use different devices. If you've got uh, if you've got an iWatch or some other device, I use a Garmin watch, that, like a GPS watch, and it's got a little device that I can wear that will measure my heart rate and tell me if my heart rate is in the target zone, right? You, you, all of these things. And the reason it's important is because where your heartbeat is at, your heart rate, is an indicator of how much you're working and how much your body is working to, uh, to, to get your heart rate up in that zone, that desired zone, so to speak, is a key part of of healthy, beneficial exercise. Well, when we think about our heart rate, our heart rate is, is important 
Because if you don't have one, if you don't have a heartbeat, if you don't have a, a pulse, then you're in trouble as well. But you've got you've to have a healthy heart rate. Anyone that's ever struggled with AFib or something of that nature can attest to the fact, you know what, when your heart rate is not doing what it should, when it's all over the place, it really messes with you. It affects everything else in your life. When we think about the church, the church is the same way. A church needs to have a healthy heart rate, a healthy heartbeat, if you will, a healthy pulse to that church. And sadly, not every church does. Now, I'm grateful that First Baptist is a healthy church. We are. We are a healthy church by any metric that you want to try to measure health. We're not a perfect church by any means. In fact, there is no such thing as a perfect church. People oftentimes will talk about and describe the, the, the ideal, the perfect church for them. And, and my response is always, well, if you ever find that church, don't join it because you'll screw it up. Because there's no healthy, I mean, there's no perfect church. There are healthy churches. And even if we could find a healthy church, you and I, we would mess it up because we're not perfect. The, the goal isn't to be a perfect church. The goal is to be healthy. And there are a lot of different ways that we measure church health. Now, most often, health is measured using, some people call it numbers and noses, right? Numbers meaning your, your budget, how much you give, and noses, how many people are there. Those are kind of the metrics that get tossed around a lot of times. And attendance and giving, those are important things. They tell us a lot. We need to pay attention to those. We do pay attention to those. But those are not by any means the only measures of church health. In fact, Sadly, many times, those things can be, can be good and the church can still not be healthy. And so over the next few weeks, we're going to look at the functions of a church. And, and the reason we're doing that is because we want to measure ourselves against the, what the, the Scripture tells us a healthy church is. We want to see how do we stack up? How do we measure against this? And, and a key part of that is understanding are we doing the things that a New Testament church ought to be doing according to what the New Testament tells us. We're, of course, going to look at that for several weeks. But it begins this morning with the very basic foundational understanding of what is a healthy church. Church itself, we have an understanding of the church, right? We're here. Maybe when you were, when you were young, you learned something like, uh, this is the church and this is the steeple and you open all the doors and here's all the people, that kind of thing, right? We learn these little things that tell us all about the church to, to gain that, that elementary understanding of what the church is. But what I hope to do this morning as we dig into the book of Ephesians and look at several passages in the book of Ephesians, is I want to give you a deeply rooted, gospel-centered, doctrinally rich understanding of what the church is and who we are supposed to be as the church. And we're going to look at that in the book of Ephesians, especially today, because the book of Ephesians is a letter written to the church. In fact, it's one of my favorite letters written to the church in the New Testament. And in this letter to the church, we find Paul describing to the Ephesians, what a healthy church ought to be. And so let's dig into this. The first thing that I want us to see are four different understandings of what the church is to be, and then talk about three reasons why you need the church in your life. So four different understandings, and, and actually I've added a fifth that isn't in your notes, but uh, in, in studying and, and preparing for this, even just this morning as I was looking over things, really it came to me that there's, there's really a fifth understanding that we'll get to in, in a few minutes. The first one is this, that the church is a family 
whose members are adopted in by Christ's love. The church is a family. It's one of my favorite ways to describe our church is to talk about our church family. The the way that I approach church, the way that I think about the church is that the church is family. We are a family. And as a family, we have all been adopted into the family of Christ. As co-heirs, it tells us. Look at verses 4 and 5 of Ephesians chapter 1. It tells us that he chose us in him before the foundation of the world, that we should be holy and blameless before him. And in love, it tells us, he predestined us for adoption to himself as sons through Jesus Christ, according to the purpose of his will. So according to the purpose of God's will, his design, his his intention for our lives, we have been adopted into his family as sons, as daughters. And so now we're, we're a family. When you think about the people in this church, they are an extension of your family. That's the way that I think of it. I hope that that's the way that you see one another. And you'll often hear me describe First Baptist or talk about First Baptist. And I'll say things like our first family. I talk about the first family. Now, we all know that the, I guess you could say the real first family live in the White House. But when I talk about the first family, I'm talking about my first family, which are the people of First Baptist Church. Because this is a family, a, a group of people that God has put together that we have all been adopted in. And you know what? In any family, in every family, I suppose, there, there are messy relationships. You, you've got those relationships in your family, right? You've got people in your family that you struggle with. That sometimes you just don't get along very well. You've got, maybe it's, maybe it's you know, that crazy uncle that everybody has, or maybe it's a sibling that, that you just, you have a, a broken, contentious relationship. For some, maybe it's, it's even with your parents. There's just, there's a difficult relationship there. The truth is, in any family, there can be difficult relationships. Sometimes in the church family, there are difficult relationships as well. But that doesn't mean that we should give up on the church. That doesn't mean that we should, that we should uh, remove ourselves from the church just because at times things get tough. And they will get tough at times. We will hurt one another's feelings. We will step on one another's toes. We will, we will do things that drive each other batty. And yet, even in the midst of that, It's a reminder to us that because we have been united together as the body of Christ, that we we work through those things. We, we, We do everything that we can, at least in as much as it depends on us, to live in a healthy, peaceful relationship with others, with one another, because we understand that we have been adopted in together as the family of God, brothers and sisters in the family of Christ. One of the one of the really neat experiences I have had in my life has been to travel to other places around the globe on different mission trips and interact with other brothers and sisters in Christ, people that I would not know but for the, the, the mission trip, did not know prior to the trip, and maybe in, in all likelihood will never interact with again this side of heaven. And yet there is, a, there is a bond, there is a kinship that you can share with people like that. I'll never forget my first experience like that was when I was a college student, the summer between my junior and senior year of college. And I had gone on a mission trip to Malawi, Africa. And not only was it my first 
international trip. It was my first time outside of the United States. It was certainly my first time, to, because of that, to be in, immersed in a completely different culture like that. And so here I was, this, you know, this uh, wet-behind-the-ears, skinny 21-year-old kid in the heart of Africa, and Im- completely immersed in, a, in an entirely different culture with entirely different people, entirely different language, and different you know, everything about it. It just blew my mind in the best possible way. And one of, my, one of my greatest takeaways from that experience was the realization that although we spoke a different language, although we lived different lives, although we had a completely different culture, that we shared the bond of Christ together. And these people were my brothers and sisters. These people were people that, that were my family on the other side of the world. It's really neat. If you've ever been on a trip like that, experienced something like that, then you can relate to what I'm talking about. And what is it that unites us? What is it that, 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 that when we experience it in the moment, we just instantly feel this bond with people? It's the bond of family. The bond of family. We've all heard it said that blood is thicker than water. And, and, and it's true to a degree. There's just something that you share with the people that you share your DNA with. Well, we share a spiritual DNA, if you want to think of it that way, as the church. And so we need to understand that the, the church is a family and that we have been, we have been put together. We have been uh, adopted into this family through the work of Christ the last thing I would say is centers on the idea of adoption itself. You know, adoption uh, is one of the most beautiful pictures of the gospel because when we see an adoption, and, and I mean in, in, in our sense today, not just in the sense that we're thinking of ourselves being adopted into the family of, of God through Christ, but when we see someone adopt children, when we see families adopt siblings, foster, or, or in, in some cases they just from, from birth they adopt, they, they go through the process and adopt a child. We see, I think, a beautiful picture of the gospel. And there are a lot of reasons why adoption happens. And, and, and I suppose sometimes when we think about that, it, it really it points to the brokenness of this world. But in the midst of that, we see this beautiful picture of redemption that can come out of brokenness. And isn't that what the gospel is about? The gospel is about the the, the redemption that we have in Christ, the beauty that comes from ashes out of our brokenness. And even in that, again, it's a reminder that this picture of a family, this picture of who we are, the church, adopted in under Christ, is, is such an awesome, beautiful understanding for us that we are a part of a family together because of the work of Christ. Not only does Ephesians describe the church as a family, it goes on to describe the church as a body. The church is a body of believers with Christ as its head. Let's read, jump down to chapter 1, verses 22 and 23. It says that he put all things under his feet and gave him, him, there is Jesus, gave him as head over all things to the church, which is his body, the fullness of him who fills all in all. God put all things under subjection, under the feet of Jesus, and gave him, gave Jesus as head over all things to the church. We are a body united together by this bond of kinship in Christ, adopted in. But as a body of believers, Christ is the head of our body. Sometimes people will say, 
that the pastor is the head of a church. They'll refer to me as the head of the church in, in, in some way. And I always do my best to try to lovingly correct that understanding because I am not the head of this body. Now, I have a role to play in the, in the leadership of this church. I, maybe you could say that I'm the key leader or something of that. I, I, I get the idea of where this comes from, that the pastor is the head of the church. But the New Testament makes it clear that Jesus is the head of the church. Not Michael Butler, but Jesus Christ is the head of the church. And that's important for us to understand. As, as much as anyone, that's important for me to understand. Because we get our direction. I get my marching orders from Jesus. We take our lead and we follow his, his plan, his paths for us. We're a body of believers, and Christ is our head. If we read later in Ephesians in chapter 4, in verse 4, we see that there's one body and one spirit, just as we were called to the one hope that belongs to our call. One Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God and Father of all, who is over all and through all and in all. And we jump down in Ephesians 4 to verse 15. And we see that speaking the truth in love, then we are to grow up in every way into him who is the head into Christ. There it is. Christ is the head. Verse 16. From whom the whole body, joined and held together by every joint with which it's equipped, when each part is working properly, makes the body grow so that it builds itself up in love. It is so important that we understand that this body that we are part of, that we have been knit together in this body, that this body is, is made up of many different parts, much in the same way that your body is made up of many different parts, and that Christ is the head, and that each one of us are a part of this body. And each one of us have a role to play, a function inside of the church. And even tonight, if you come back at, tonight at 6 o'clock, we're going to talk more about the importance of this understanding. We're going to study in 1 Corinthians chapter 12, Romans chapter 12, and Ephesians chapter 4 that point us to the parts of the body and what it looks like for those parts of the body to click, to work together the way that they should. So come back tonight at 6 and you'll hear more about, uh, more about that and the, and the role that we all have to play. But for now, I want to say that it's so important that we understand that each one of us has a function in the body, much the way that you think of the, the different parts of your body. All of the different parts of your body work together for your body to function the way that it should. And all it takes is for one little thing, one minuscule, tiny little thing to be off. And you, and you feel the effects of that in your body. In the same way, when one part of the body of Christ is not working the way that it should, when one part of the body of Christ decides to just sit it out, decides that it's, time, it's their turn to just take a break, when one part of the body of Christ decides that, eh, they don't need me and I don't know that I need them, and just takes that step back and, and, and stands on the sidelines, then the rest of the body feels the effects of that. We all have a part to play in the body of Christ. And if you are not actively engaged in some way in the life of the church, I want to encourage you. You need to get plugged in. And we want to help you as a staff. We want to help you navigate that. It's not always as easy as one, two, three. I get it. It's not always, it's not always, uh, honestly, if I can say it this way, it's not always fun either because sometimes getting getting plugged into the place where you want to be is, is a lot of work. And, and even at times it means that it, it can be messy and can be difficult. And, and, and I understand all of that. I mean, that's literally, that's what we deal with every day, trying to, trying to work in the life, the ministry of this church. I, I, 
I understand it, I suppose, as well as anyone else when it comes to First Baptist Church in Chickasha. But I'm telling you, without the parts of the body actively engaged, working together, operating the way that we should, we are not who we should be as a church. And so I beg you, if you are on the sidelines, get in the game. Get plugged in into the life of the church because we need you. And not only do we need you, you need us because you will not be all that you are to be and your maturity will never reach the mark that Christ intends for you until you are plugged into the church as well. That's what Ephesians 4 tells us. So it's important that we understand the church is not, is not just a, the place where we gather on Sunday mornings. It's a family. It's a body. He goes on to say this, though, that the church is a kingdom subject to its king. Go back to Ephesians chapter 2. Another way that Paul describes the church in the book of Ephesians is as a kingdom, as a, as a, as a nation. Look at Ephesians chapter 2, verse 13. He says that in Christ Jesus, you who are once far off have been brought near by the blood of Christ. And then jump down to verse 18. So that as we, as we use these pronouns here of him and, and, and so on, we know he's talking here about Jesus who brings us near by his work, by his blood shed for us. Verse 18. For through him, we both have access in one spirit to the Father. So then... You're no longer strangers and aliens, but you are fellow citizens with the saints and members of the household of God. Citizens belong to a nation, don't they? And in the biblical understanding, it's not just a nation, it's a kingdom. And Jesus Christ is our king. He is the head over the church. He is the, he is the sovereign. He is the ruler. He is the one to whom we owe our allegiance he is our authority. He's the king. And we are a part of his kingdom. This is an understanding that in many ways uh, we, we, we distort to a degree. Because we live in a democratic society. And, and we understand that the way a nation, the way a state works is everybody has a say. Everybody gets a say in what they do. But you know, in an autocratic state, in a, in a kingdom... Everybody doesn't get a say. The king gets a say. And everyone does what the king tells them that they ought to do. The body of Christ is not a democratic republic where you and I get to vote on things. We are not members of a Congress who get to tell the Lord the way that we think it ought to be. Now, sometimes we operate that way, practically speaking. But we are subjects to a kingdom and a king. We are a part of his kingdom. And as such... He has divine authority and rule over our lives. Ask anyone who's been a Christian for more than a minute, and they can probably tell you about a time in their life that God directed them or led them in a way that they did not want. That there was something that they did not like and they did not want, and it wasn't until later on down the road in hindsight that they saw that, oh, that was for my good all along. The Lord was using that, even when I wasn't aware that God was using that in my life. See, God works in our lives as the king who is sovereign over his subjects. And as such, he will, he will do with us as he will. And, and I suppose in some ways we're maybe predisposed to think of that 
in, in, in a negative sense because we don't like anybody telling us what to do. We don't want anybody to be king over us. I'm king over my own self. I'm Lord over my life. I'm, I'm master in charge of myself. Oh, but that is not the understanding that the Bible gives us. See, you and I are subjects to the king of kings, the Lord of lords, the ruler over all. It's so important, so essential that we, that we see this and understand this for what it is. Because if you don't function the way that you should in this kingdom of God, you will always resist. You will always struggle. You will fight the inner desire to rebel because you think that somehow it should be about you and your way. And frankly, it's not. Jesus is our king. We are subject to him as a part of his kingdom. It goes on to tell us in Ephesians, Paul tells us that the church is a group of people, not a building. So many people, when they talk about the church, they talk about the place where the church meets. I even find myself doing this at times. We talk about the church and we talk about this place. 324 West Colorado Avenue when we talk about First Baptist Church. But can I tell you, this place is not First Baptist Church. The people inside this place, we are the First Baptist Church of Chickasha. This place is the place where we gather. It is the place where we meet. And it's important. I mean, we, this is, an, this is an, an important tool that God has given us so that we might use it for ministry. But someday, this building could go away and we would still be the First Baptist Church. Because it's not about bricks and mortar. It's not about a physical location. It's about a people. I have said many times that I am so grateful that I was not the pastor of this church when the old building had to come down back in the day. And if you've ever seen it, then you know exactly what I'm talking about. The building that used to set at this corner here at 4th and Colorado was this majestic, stately, I mean, it was just, it looked like a, a, a regal capital building or something. And, and you can Google it. You can Google First Baptist Chickasha and just look for images and you'll find an old picture of this church. It was, it was impressive. It was incredible. And it just nearly crumbled in on itself as well because that's what buildings do. They fall apart. They, they don't last forever. This building, as great as it is, it won't last forever, I suppose. If you come back 500 years from now, I don't know that this building will be here. Now, we may not be here either because Jesus may return before all of that and call us home. But the point is just, the point is just buildings don't last. But the church isn't the building. The church is the people. Look in Ephesians chapter 2. Look at verse 20. We just keep reading from where we just left off. So we read that we are members of the household of God, fellow citizens together. And then in the next verse, we're built on the foundation of the apostles and the prophets. He does not say built on the foundation of the temple in Jerusalem. Because when Jesus established his church, he didn't say, all right, Let's run all the Jews out so that we can take over the temple because this is ours now. This belongs to me. Now he said, my kingdom is not of this world. My kingdom is in your hearts and it's wherever you go. 
It's not about a location. Built on the foundation of the apostles and the prophets. Christ Jesus himself being the cornerstone in whom the whole structure... That's us, by the way. We're the structure. We're the church. We're the body, the kingdom, the family. The whole structure being joined together grows into a holy temple in the Lord. In him, you are also being built together into a dwelling place for God by the Spirit. You are a dwelling place for God by the Spirit. You are the temple of Christ, Paul writes in Ephesians chapter 6. You and I, we are the church. And it is so important that we understand that. Now, this building is important. It is significant. I am not trying to in any way disparage our facilities. In fact, as much as anything, I, again, have a, a, a chief role in making sure that we, that we administrate the resources that God has given to us well, that we take care of these things. We've got a great team in place to do that. A lot of work, a lot of man hours go into caring for these resources that we've been given. But someday, it'll all go away. And the church will remain. Because Jesus himself said that I'm going to build my church and the gates of hell won't stand against it. See, there's nothing this world can do to destroy. Now, in times, the church gets displaced. And at times, the church has to move. And at times, the church goes underground. And even at times, the church may wane in one place globally, so to speak, and it may thrive in another place. But until Jesus returns on planet earth, as long as there are people breathing breath, there will be a church of Jesus Christ. And nothing in hell can stop that. Jesus promised as much to his disciples in the verses we read earlier in Matthew chapter 16. The church of Jesus Christ is a group of people, not a building. It's a kingdom subject to a king. It's, it is a, a body with Jesus as its head. It is a family who have been adopted in by the work of Christ. And then there's actually a fifth understanding of what a church is in the book of Ephesians that, frankly, I missed this week when I was studying, but it came to me this morning in reading through and reflecting on this. And so go to Ephesians chapter 5, verse 32. Look at Ephesians chapter 5, verse 32. Really, you have to pick up around verse 21 of Ephesians chapter 5. But if you do that, what culminates in verse 32, which reads, this mystery is profound that I'm saying that it refers to Christ and the church. He's talking about marriage here. That as the church, we are the bride obedient to her loving groom. That's a fifth way that you can understand the church according to the book of Ephesians. We are a bride who is obedient to her loving groom. And in all of this, we find the New Testament's picture of what a church is supposed to be is that it's about people. It's about relationships. And in that, as we've said already, it can get messy at times. It's not always easy. It can be difficult. We can, we can hurt each other. We can wound each other. We can step on each other's toes. But we, we always come back. We do what we can to work through our problems. We do what we can to forgive and, and to move beyond uh, ways that others have wronged us and ways that we wrong others. Because in the end, we understand that we have been united together by Christ. See, when you, when you trust Jesus as your Savior, two very important things happen. All at once, He saves you from your sin. 
And the, the Holy Spirit of God comes to dwell inside of you. And you are adopted into his family. You are now a part of something that is bigger than yourself. And in that moment, when you call on Jesus as Lord and Savior, you, in an, in an instant, you receive the full promises of God through the work of Christ on the cross. You are saved from your sins. But the second thing that happens, and this is the part that many of us miss, is that we are united together with his body, the church. At the very moment that Jesus saved you, he welcomed you into his family. He, he made you a part of his body. He adopted you in. You became a subject to his kingdom, to his kingly rule. You became a part of his bride. You were, you were given a role in this group of people to which you now belong. Because you and I belong to one another under Jesus Christ as our head, I think it's important that you and I understand why you need the church, why I need the church. And so let me give you three very practical reasons. And we see this, this biblical understanding of what the church is. These five points, really, which point us to understand who or what the church is. But let me give you three practical points about why you need the church. Because maybe you're still on the fence. Maybe you're thinking to yourself, I get all of that, but, you know, it's, it's messy. I don't have the time. I've been hurt. I've been wounded in the past. Three reasons why you need the church. The first one is this. Is that you will experience the power of the gospel at work in you as you live in community with other Christians. Mark Dever, who's a pastor of Capitol Hill Baptist Church in the Washington, D.C. area, has written a book called The Nine Marks of a Healthy Church. It's a great book, uh, and, and, he, and he talks and writes a lot about the role of the church. And in his book, he says this. He says, together we can display the gospel in a way that we just can't by ourselves. You and I get to demonstrate the gospel of Jesus Christ by living life together as a part of his church. And you will experience the power of the gospel at work in you as you live your life in community with other Christians in a way that, frankly, that you just won't without the church. And so do you want to experience the power of the gospel alive in you? Well, the way, by, by God's design, the way you will do that is through his church. Secondly, alone, you will never understand your need for the gospel like you do when you live in a community with other believers. This, this is very closely re related to the first point, but, but the point that I want you to catch is this, that on your own, you will never even understand your need for the gospel. Not only will you not reap the benefits of the power of the gospel at work, you will never even understand your need for the gospel like you do when you live with other people. And if we're to be honest, much of that comes through the brokenness and the messiness of the church. Much of the way that we understand our need for the gospel is by interacting with a bunch of other sinners who need the gospel as well. Much like, much like being a parent has taught me more about my own sinfulness and my own need for a savior than just about anything else in life apart from I would say, my, my function, my role in the church. Being a part of a family, a husband and a, and a father, has taught me in so many ways how impatient I can be, how selfish I can be, how I want what I want, even if it means 
putting my needs and my wants over the people I love the most. And you know, when we do that in the church, when we, when we experience those same things in the church, it can get messy. And it can get rough at times. But even that is the reminder that we need, that we, that we desperately need the gospel at work in our lives. And alone, you'll never experience that. You'll never understand that the way you would if you become an active part of the church. And then third is this. You will go further when you journey with other believers than you could ever go on your own. It, it's very in vogue today to cite an old African proverb. I did some, some uh, research on this week trying to pinpoint what is the, the real source, the genesis of this proverb. And the truth is, no one knows. Because all of these people who have quoted it say, well, I heard it from someone else. And, and you, can, you can go further. And, and nobody really knows where it came. But you've heard this supposedly ancient African proverb, as though the entire continent of Africa says this, I guess. That if you want to go fast, go alone. But if you want to go far, go together. We've heard politicians say that. We've heard uh, celebrities and other popular figures in our culture say that. But you know what? Honestly, there's some real wisdom in that. If you want to go fast through life, do it alone. But you will never go as far as you will when you travel with other people. Together, we are stronger. Together, we are better. Together, we demonstrate the power of Christ for the sake of the gospel to the world around us. Why you need the church. But can I tell you what else? It's also why the church needs you. And so this morning, I pray that you will consider what is your role to be in the church. If you're looking for a church, if you're looking for a place to connect, I hope you'll make it First Baptist Church. But I understand not everyone would be, will be a part of this church. And that's okay, frankly. I'm okay with that. Because, honestly, because by Christ's design, everyone's not supposed to be a part of this church. And I can accept that. So long as, so long as you are willing to engage and plug in with the church wherever God has put you. And if that's another church in our community, I hope you'll find it. But more than that, I hope you'll find, you'll find a way to plug in in this church. Because we are not a perfect church. There is no such thing as a perfect church. But we are a healthy church. We are a church on mission. We are a church who together are serious about doing the work of the gospel and living as members of this family, united together as brothers and sisters, as representing Christ to the world as his body, as, as subjects to his kingdom, as a part of this group of, of people who together make up the bride of Christ, so that the world might see the gospel alive in us. You need the church, but frankly, the church needs you too. Would you pray with me? Lord, today as we think on and reflect on this truth, I pray that you would, you would use your word to build your church. Jesus, we are so grateful that you loved us, that you saved us, that you have adopted us in as sons and daughters, that you have made us a part of your family together, part of your body, a part of your bride, the church. We realize that is not because of anything that we have done to deserve it. It is, it is only because of your goodness it is your gift to us. 
and now as members of this body. As parts of this, this, this kingdom that you are building, Lord, we pray, have your way in us. For your glory, for your sake, that the world may see the power of the gospel alive in us. We pray this in your name. Amen. This morning as we stand to sing together, we, we are going to open up this to be a, a time of invitation, a time of response. And even now as we stand and the music begins to play, I want to encourage you that if God is, is speaking to you, if he's moving in your heart, that you would respond in obedience. Maybe he's telling you to come and to join this church, to be a part of this church. Then I encourage you, come and do that this morning. You can just come forward and our staff will be at the front will be ready to receive you. Maybe in some other way, he's telling you it's time to get off the sidelines, time to engage, time to, time to step up your game somehow. Time to find a bigger role, a bigger function, a bigger part to play. Maybe you're not, you're not functioning in the way that you should, and he's telling you it's time to do what I made you to do. Whatever it is, I want to encourage you that you would respond in obedience to him today as we sing this song together. There is love.